and welcome to the Low Tox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and this is show number 29. I have the wonderful Nick Ritar from Milkwood Permaculture with me today in a little moment. Uh, firstly, I wanted to announce the winner of our reader survey, our very first survey we had done, and this, the feedback was just incredible, all the information you guys gave me about what you wanted to hear more about. Thank you so much to everybody who sent it in. And of course, we have a winner getting beautiful uh, basket full of some of my favorite low-tox goodies and that winner is abby nolan congratulations abby send us an email at team at lowtoxlife.com and we'll send that out to you now the show supporter this month is one we've had before and gosh i've had some good feedback about these sheets from people who took them up on the offer attitude is back for the month of march we get 10 percent off in store the code and the link is all in the show notes so hop on over press pause and do it right now so you don't forget to make the most of it if sheets are something on your radar that you are wanting to go low tox with uh, there are so many horrible things that happen in conventional cotton sheet cultivation sheet making if you like you know those no need to iron sheets well I don't care how creased the thing is, I'm not going to be ironing it, but they uh, often use formaldehyde to make that crease-free, for example. You know, think of the keratin hair straightening treatments, the same sort of principle. Uh, so that, coupled with dyes, coupled with unfairly paid workers in horrible conditions sometimes, you know, it's just pays always to have full transparency of where our dollar's going and Attitude has that in spades with non-toxic dyeing, with an incredible closed loop water system that uses so much less water than a conventional uh, linen making brand would be using. So I think it's important to help these guys grow and it's wonderful that they support the show as well, which is really nice. So head on over to the show notes. As I said, you've got all the details on how to make the most of this month's offer starting today and all the way through to the end of March. So I'll give you a little reminder each week so that you do make the most of them. And the mint coloured ones are super gorgeous, just as a little tip from me. Anyway, so today's show, Nick shares with us an incredible wealth of knowledge. He founded Milkwood Permaculture a few years ago now, and their tagline is skills for real life. Nick, being a great permaculture teacher himself, also has a huge stable of incredible teachers from around the world who come and hold a brilliant workshops uh, throughout Australia. You can learn anything from urban veggie gardening and making the most of your backyard to urban beekeeping to cultivating mushrooms, cheese making workshops, fermentation workshops, right through to doing like a full permaculture design certificate, how to build a super sustainable home yourself. I mean, every part of the permaculture landscape is is covered and I can't wait for you, you know, because a lot of people think permaculture just means growing your veggies really well, but it's actually a very holistic, quite a big picture idea of how to be in the world in the things that we do. And if that's something that's interested you, if you've always been curious to learn a little bit more about what permaculture actually means and the, the breadth of areas of life that it actually covers, then you're going to love today's uh, work. Uh, today, I was going to say workshop. No, we're not doing a workshop. We're doing a podcast. So I shall leave it right over to my chat with Nick. Enjoy. Hello, Nick. How are you? Hi, Alex. I'm really well today. 
Awesome. What's the best thing that happened to you so far today? You sound like you've actually got a smile on your face. <laughs> I do. Actually, yeah. the best thing that happened to me today was I got a call from a mate who is a, an arborist here in Dalesford, mm-hmm. and he called me to say that a giant old 140-year-old oak tree had unfortunately suffered a big break and all these branches had fallen down and it's not very good for the oak tree but it's very good for me because I just got a ute load of beautiful uh, oak branches which I am going to inoculate with shiitake mycelium and I'm going to grow a whole bunch of shiitake mushrooms off those so I'm pretty stoked about that. That sounds brilliant. Mm -hmm. That's a great thing yeah, to have happened. Just from those logs, I should be able to get oh, at least a hundred, a couple of hundred kilos of, of shiitake mushrooms over the next few years. Oh, my gosh. So can you just talk to us, me, I guess. I'm, I'm the one talking to you today and everyone can hear you. Um, <laughs> can you talk to me about the process? Like you get the oak branch, what happens next? Uh, it's, it's pretty simple. Yeah. It's one of those sort of things that people can do if they haven't got space for a garden mm. is uh, – you, you have to drill holes in the, those, those oak logs as quickly yeah. as you can, pretty much within the, the, the month after you get them. You want to you, you drill a whole series of little holes in the sides of the logs, mm-hmm. and then you inoculate the logs uh, with the living uh, mycelium of the fungus of the mushroom that you want to grow. And is this something people can buy online? Yeah, yeah, you can buy the inoculant. So this would be called spawn mm. uh, is the name for it. It's a bit technical, but the, the word is spawn. And uh, this would be, I'm going to use dowel spawn, so little wooden dowels, which have the fungus growing on them. And uh, you buy that shiitake dowel spawn uh, from a supplier and you can just hammer them into the holes that you've, you've made. You've got to drill the hole just the right size and then uh, put a little bit of, of natural beeswax over the holes and, uh, and seal them up and put them somewhere where they, they don't get too hot or too cold or too dry or too wet and leave them for about 18 months and then about 18 months later in the spring or in the autumn mm. when the weather's right, out pops yummy, perfect shiitake mushrooms, way better than what you could ever buy, like wow. the finest shiitake mushrooms in the world. How exciting. So anyone with a garage could basically do that. Yeah, or down the side of the house or under the deck or, you know, under the tree fern next to the pond. You can plant them as totem poles next to, you know, uh, in in your Japanese garden, if you like. And then later on, those beautiful totem poles will erupt with shiitake mushrooms. Incredible. And they are like 100% safe to eat. Just pick them off and stir fry or chuck in a salad. Oh, superbly safe to eat. I mean, Mm. you're talking about the most organic, beautiful mushrooms, way, way better. No plastics involved in their cultivation, no toxic chemicals at all. You know, the the finest quality mushrooms you could ever have. Amazing. Oh, gosh, my husband's going to hear this and go, project. I can just Yeah, and it's not just shiitakes either. You can do all kinds of different oyster mushrooms and all kind of ones that you can't get. Nemico, um, uh, lion's manes and medicinal mushrooms like turkey tails or uh, reishi mushrooms, all kinds of amazing things. You just can't buy in shops. Yeah, of course, unless it's been processed and, and ground up and chucked in a plastic pouch lined something and yeah. shipped around the world. It's so true, isn't it? And we could be growing this stuff at home. Are there any that are the easiest for someone who's thinking, gosh, that does sound a bit fun and I know how to use a drill and I know where <laughs> branches fall off regularly? Like, you know, like what would be the, yeah. the best go-to? 
shiitake is is one of the go-tos and, and oyster mushrooms as well okay. they're, they're some of the easier ones but but really there's not much difference in harvest between the different different um, species of mushroom the 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 challenge or the or the, uh, the the real difference is whether you decide to do that sort of log grown cultivation or you know a cultivation where you you're using um, glass jars or or uh, recycled buckets that um, are then growing on sawdust or straw or there's many, many, many different ways that you can grow mushrooms. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I had Phil White as a guest recently. Ah, yeah. He was one of my students. Oh, was he? Oh, my gosh, how amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah well, no, he I'm very is... proud of what Phil's done with Fundamental. Yeah, hasn't he just skyrocketed to, like, big picture, change the world goals around waste and sustainability and growing Mushies in coffee grounds, so well, yeah. Well, he did our mushroom cultivation course uh, just uh, started last year. Amazing! And how long does that course go for? Is it a two day or is it one of the? That's, more... that's a weekend long course. Um, yeah. two, two days, uh, so six hours a day for two days. Uh, and in that, we teach people how to, or I teach people how to take a, a mushroom and take a, a little tiny tissue sample from that and and grow that up on different waste materials, mm-hmm. organic waste materials, things like maybe sugarcane straw or uh, wheat straw or um, even coffee grounds or timber, sawdust, all kinds of things like that, and and grow them right through until harvest and, and storage and, and sale too if you want to go into, into business selling them. Yeah, incredible. So, And do you have any other students who've gone on to create amazing businesses in your alumni? Oh, literally. We've had... We've had oh. Close to six thousand people do courses with us now over the years. So um, out of that, we'd have hundreds of people who now have businesses in everything from you know mushroom cultivation to beekeeping to uh, fermented food products to market gardens to broadacre farming of all kinds. Um, people who were builders who then learned natural building off us and and started businesses specializing in that. So there, there will be hundreds of people who have just incredible yeah courses. Yeah, amazing. And look, I I told you before we actually started recording that I was the tangent queen and look, we haven't even gotten (laughs) to the first question, which was supposed to be Milkwood and and about your business and how you came to a point in your life where starting a permaculture education business was the next logical step for you personally. Well, (laughs) Kirsten and I were were looking for a a simpler life. So we were living in Melbourne and uh, we were both professional artists and doing a lot of traveling and doing all kinds of, of work which was pretty stressful and and we wanted to basically simplify our life so we decided to move to the country my mm-hmm. parents had a little farm up near Mudgee um, uh, well not that little it was a thousand acres but it was a little sort of <laughs> okay I call my mother-in-law's farm little and that's 17 acres and I think yeah that's little <laughs> so it was a big just a big thousand farm. acres yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but uh, very, very hard country. Mm. Uh, they had had been hinting for a long time that they wanted um, us to maybe think about moving up there, but they never really seriously dreamed that we would. And um, we decided to change our life significantly. You know, move to the country, uh, build a little house with our own hands, and and start a family, grow our own food. And and from that, when we got up there, we realised that. We did. This was ten years ago. We, mm. That we didn't know very much about how to manage the land that we were on. We didn't know enough about that. So we we started looking at who we could learn from, 
and we found those people who who knew what they were were talking about and knew how to to manage land in a in an ecologically sustainable fashion. Was that always important to you, that ecologically sustainable fashion? Like back when you were an artist, was that something that you incorporated in your work then or was it that, something that you kind of came the, to see? That was the, the driving idea behind all our work was how ah, okay. how we as humans relate to the, the natural world. And mm. so we, we wanted to do something that was ecologically sound and we had done permaculture courses previous to that so we were were enthusiastic about the ideas and principles of permaculture and then we moved up to this this land and realized that it was there was a lot more to learn than what we knew and probably more than what was available readily for people as well I'd imagine well that was part of the challenge it was yeah it wasn't definitely in our area there wasn't courses or or people that were uh, readily available to, to show us what to do. So we started bringing people uh, from initially from, you know, other places in New South Wales and then and further afield in Australia and eventually international that we would bring to our farm to teach us, mm. but we didn't have the money to pay them to come to teach us. So instead what we did was we uh, we'd used our skills as event organisers to, to, to put on courses. Um, Genius. Came and, and mm. that provided us with a... a, a a start, an income, a small income, to allow us to, you know, get out of the pop-top caravan that was that was on the hill. And we spent one winter in the pop-top caravan, and and that resulted in <laughs> a long winter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nothing and, like and, the pop-top caravan for a bit of motivation. Yep, and our and our lovely, you know, uh, little boy Asher um, came out of that, and ah, and then we decided to, you know, build a house by hand, and and that took us a few more years, and. And as that happened, slowly our, our business uh, grew and, and we started running more and more courses. So now we've probably, over the last you know, 10 years, run 400 courses, I suppose. <laughs> wow. That's that's a big number. Yeah. I've been to a couple of your amazing seminars. I went to the Joel Salatin one. Was it last year or the year before? I think that might have even been the year before now. Well, we've had Joel out. Yeah, uh, you've had a couple of times. Yeah, yeah, he's he's one of our uh, heroes. Uh, yeah, oh, he's an incredible man. <laughs> the grin on my face when I had someone take a picture of us is hilarious. Like most people get excited about Taylor Swift, and there I am grinning ear to ear about some old Midwest dude from America. <laughs> he's a good farmer. Oh, he's he's got an infectious personality. Oh, he does. Yeah, he really does. Uh, and, of course, Sandor Katz came out with you guys, and that was a really great day all about fermentation of pretty much yeah. anything you could imagine you might want to ferment. He taught you how exactly. to do it. Mm. And it, it's, it's what a lot of people find fascinating is that you can have two people who are like that. You know, Sandor is, uh, you know, far to the left end of the political spectrum. He's been living on a, a, a community for, for many, many years, he's very active in the LGBT community. And, you know, he, he's one of our presenters. On the other side, you've got a conservative Christian libertarian in Joel Salon. Mm, yeah, exactly. But we can all come together. Yeah, our audience can bridge that gap. Yeah. The, the knowledge that both of those people provide is incredibly valuable to us if, when we want to live a, a much more holistic lifestyle. Absolutely. And I think the beautiful thing about nature and any practice that brings us closer to it, whether it be studying farming or fermentation or anything in between, is that everyone comes together over nature. Like there's there's not a single person in the world who doesn't depend on nature in some form 
to live their lives. So, oh yeah, well, where did your food come from this morning? Yeah, it came out of a, a natural ecosystem. The the air that you breathe is is purified by plants all around us constantly. You know, the water that we drink has been through thousands of organisms in the last year before it got to you. Exactly. Water isn't Republican, Libertarian, Democrat, no. nothing. It's we're, just we're, water. We are yeah. fundamentally connected to nature. Um, and, and it's one of my pet peeves when people say, you know, I want to go out and reconnect with nature. It's like, well, when did you ever disconnect? You, know, <laughs> you, 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 you are fundamentally connected to nature. Your gut is full of billions of microorganisms that form a complex ecosystem. You, you are an ecosystem. Uh, mm. To suggest, you know, that uh, we can, you know, step outside of the natural world is, is you know, hubris. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, it can feel like we have stepped outside, though. I, I struggle with that sometimes as a city girl. But but I know what you're saying. Maybe maybe rather than reconnecting, it's actually about reawakening an awareness yeah, of yeah, that is, that just is how is. connected we are. Yeah. It's exactly yeah. It's just, just recognising that and, and taking a moment to appreciate that. You know, we we spend a lot of time. Human beings spend a lot of time, you know, alienating ourselves from the natural world. You know, we we put ourselves into rooms with you know high efficiency particulate air filters and behind glass and air conditioning and sit in front of screens and we eat food which has become abstracted so far from the natural world and we build fences and we spray weed killer and we do all these crazy things to to try to see ourselves as outside the natural world and it it makes no sense no and and the further far we drift the the more it comes back to bite us oh for sure for sure Mm. so permaculture to the uninitiated you know if you had someone who'd been dragged along by their boyfriend or girlfriend who had absolutely no knowledge of any of this, what would you tell the absolute beginner were some of the main principles of permaculture and how it differed from other styles of farming, even from, say, organic or biodynamic farming? Well, you know, to start with, organics and and biodynamics are both fantastic and and incredibly valuable systems of producing food and mm. and farming. So so that that is uh, permaculture has a vast amount of respect for organics and, and biodynamics. Permaculture, I suppose, if I if I'm meeting someone who has no idea, never heard of the word before, I describe it as, as simply a goal, and that goal is to create a permanent human culture. Mm-hmm. A, a culture that can continue to exist on this planet and thrive on this planet. So it is much broader than than biodynamics or organic farming in the sense that it does in, include the production of food and, and healthy food and ecologically sound food, but it's also about building and energy and community and governance and transport and economic systems as well as that you know, producing our food and, and our basic needs in a way which enhances the environment rather than mm. degrades it. So it's all about, is it all about sort of, I guess, always thinking and striving to leave the world, leave the earth, leave the garden, leave the wall, leave everything in a better state than you found it, like a, a preservation and yeah. um, thriving but mentality? or I, I suppose it's that that's intrinsic to it. Mm. At, its, at its core... Permaculture is about design. So it's about sitting back and going, okay, how can we do this thing better in a way that benefits us more and at the same time benefits every other player in the system? 
and whether that other player is uh, the oak tree that needs to be pruned because it's had a massive branch break or you know whoops, so we could take that those prunings and we could just burn them on site get rid of them out of the way or we could well we could cut them up and burn them in a wood fire to bake bread mm. which is which is better obviously it's better to to bake the bread well or we could take it to the next level and we could you know take those those logs and we could inoculate them with shiitake mushrooms and get really high value food and at the end have compost to grow more food with or put back under the tree to in, enhance the, the tree's growth. So taking any situation that we're in and applying a design mindset to it to achieve some some core goals and the way we describe those core goals is with ethics. So this is where permaculture mm. is perhaps a bit different from um, other ways of uh, of describing how to do things. We, rather than it being prescriptive, as in do this when this happens, we use principles and ethics in order to guide us. So at its core, permaculture has these three core ethics, which are care of the earth, care of people, and fair share. So it doesn't put people before the earth, it doesn't put people behind the earth. It, you know, it recognizes it's a human system of design. So we have to care for each other. And in that way, it's very similar to all traditional belief systems. The second, you know, care for the earth in the 1970s when permaculture came along made permaculture pretty radical. Yeah. You know, permaculture is now 35 years old. Um, so it, it's back then caring for the earth was something that, you know, people from the alternative culture, alternative communities were saying, but in the mainstream it was pretty uncommon. Nowadays, of course, caring for the earth is taught to every primary school child and every company has uh, sustainability experts working for them and every government. We, we do still have an environment minister, I believe, possibly. I'm not quite sure. Oh, God, I hope so. Yeah. But, but <laughs> you can never be too sure. <laughs> it's become standard now to, to, yeah. to say that, at least even maybe not even to live up to it. But as a core ethic, permaculture has this care for the earth ethic. The third ethic is the one that still makes permaculture quite radical, and that is fair share. Um, that mm. says... You know, you, you will set limits on yourself and you will say, no, this is how big the system can be or how much money I want to earn or how much land I can look after or, or it's the one that says that there's an ethical side to whether you, you, you know, take a European holiday or whether you buy a, a motorbike because you've just turned 40 and you feel insecure. It's, it's the one that says that, you know, you, you do need to only take what you need, and then put the rest back to those other two, caring for the earth and caring for other people. So that's the core of permaculture. That's the ethics that we use. And we use those ethics then to design systems that have great outcomes for all three of those ethics, has great outcomes for the environment, has, has, is fair to all players, and, and has really good outcomes for the people that are involved. It's beautiful. And to me, it's quite spiritual, really. It, it is. Mm. And it, it's, it's, I was attracted, I mean, <laughs> before I was a uh, permaculturalist, I was an, an artist, but before that I was an engineer. And it, it ah. appeals to my you know, engineering logic and it appeals yes, to my, the strategy. Yeah. Yeah, to, my, uh, mm. to my creativity as well. So that's why I fell in love with the ideas of permaculture and, and why I've devoted you know, my life to it. Yeah, beautiful. So another thing I guess a lot of people assume around permaculture is that you literally have to 
make a decision to live in the country to adopt any of the principles of permaculture. But I, I really don't think now that we've really spoken about it in more depth that that would be the case. In terms of what you teach, you know, yes, a lot of your alumni go on to, you know, start farms and, and businesses, but do a lot of urban people go to just see what they might be able to incorporate into their urban lives as well? Well, yeah, Phil from Fundamental is a fantastic example. You know, he's taking uh, waste products coming out of cafes and, and airlines in the form mm. of coffee grounds and turning them into a really high-quality organic food in the form of yeah. mushrooms. He's doing that on the, the rooftop of a building in the centre of Sydney. So it mm. couldn't be more urban than that. Um, yeah. And, and uh, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't have to be about food either. We have a lot of people who are just creating, you know, uh, nature spaces, for example, for people in hospitals or aged care facilities where they create an environment where people can, you know, get out of the air-conditioned, filtered world and, and spend a bit of time with some sun on their face and, and watch some, you know, leaves move in the, in the breeze. Mm. It can be about creating community and creating governance. So here we have, you know, the Hepburn Relocalisation Network where people get together and buy food in bulk so that they're able to get cheaper food so that people who couldn't necessarily afford to buy the, you know, more expensive biodynamic or organic food from the supermarket instead can share the discounts of buying in bulk by getting mm. them directly from the grain grower or getting them directly from the you know, producer. So there's there's lots of different ways that you can practice permaculture. Um, food and, and growing food is, is such a beautiful way to embody a whole bunch of the principles and, and ethics of permaculture that often it's the place where people start. But um, I was going to say, and I've got a few questions around that because it's kind of, it's just something we're all doing every day, isn't it? Eating. So yeah. it, no matter where you live, you have a connection to, or a possibility to develop a connection to permaculture through the food that you eat and the choices you make around that food. Well, Joss, Joss Allerton calls it our ecological umbilical. Yeah. You know, we have this umbilical cord in the term yeah. in, in in the form of food that every day provides this nutrient to us and connects us to the Mother Earth. And I think it's a really powerful for metaphor. So you know, taking a look at that umbilical and, and cultivating it and making sure that you know you you're, you're caring for it is a way that you can you know, ensure your own health and ensure your community and family's health as well. Absolutely. And before, when we were speaking about how disconnected people assume they are to nature, like I could probably not count the amount of times I've heard people say, oh, I'm a black thumb, I could never grow anything, you know, that's so not for me, I'm just always going to be someone who has to buy their food uh, or that's too hard or it's going to take months to learn. What do you say to those people? How do you get them excited? What Like is there a, a little secret baby step strategy you have to infiltrate their minds? <laughs> well, I, I think that, you know, you can't, expect to pick up a guitar and, and play perfect flamenco um, straight away. Everything requires practice. And you don't that's not how you, you learn guitar. You start by playing a few chords and, and, and picking out a few simple tunes and enjoying that experience. That gives you great pleasure just to be able to play something very, very simple. And and with gardening it's just the same. You know, you start with some really simple things. You grow some herbs, you know, a little bit of parsley or um, a few cherry tomatoes in a pot. And, and then you go, well, actually, you know what, um, sprouts or microgreens or, you know, really simple little things that once you start a practice, you suddenly, it's not very long before you are starting to play those flamenco tunes. 
And once you start practicing, you don't you don't start by trying to grow a whole bunch of perfect straight carrots. Now that's a that's a not a beginner's um, gardening thing. You know, you start growing something. Really <laughs> I will be sure to tell my dad that who just grew a whole bunch of carrots that were having some massive twisty, turny, <sighs> windy love fest. They're in beautiful. Veggie you know, they're, they're, they're Instagram gold. <laughs> those carrots. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but but no, uh, you know that that growing supermarket carrots. You know, leave that to the the. the you know, massive agrochemical businesses. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, grow some beautiful, unique, twisty carrots and, and enjoy it's them. It's so true, isn't it? And it's such a perception thing, especially of our parents' generation who grew up in the convenience age and who were urban families because, you know, I was speaking to my auntie a few months ago and she was talking about this lovely fruit and veg shop that had just opened down the road from her in Mauritius. Yep. Uh, she also said, I really love it because all the vegetables look beautiful and tidy and clean and, and I was like oh <laughs> it's like the opposite of what I like <laughs> for me that just sends up like a huge red flag if I don't see a bug crawling on it and if it do, it's not a bit bendy in some way yeah well I mean to, to, to grow that I, I know a lot of really very very capable market gardeners who spend you know the ones who get the most money for the produce are the ones that spend the time sorting out the the, the leaves that have, have got a bite mark out of them and grading everything into size and color and and producing a, an incredible display but they know that the the vegetables that don't look perfect are just as nutritious and guess which ones they eat you know the, mm. the 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 ones that look a little bit weird or are a little bit misshapen you know i, I challenge anybody who to not be able to grow silver beet, uh, you know, it's the easiest thing in the world yeah, to grow. And yeah. and if it's got a few, if the leaves a little bit wilted or it's got a few holes in it, or it doesn't matter. It's it's all part of of the the beautiful environment around you. And and having a few critters living on it, that's not a failure. That's uh, creating an ecology. That's part of of good growing. That's exactly right. Yeah. Bring on the bugs. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think I saw a something on the Woolworths Facebook page a couple of years ago where uh, someone had complained about there being a, a spider in her lettuce. And I just thought, oh, my goodness, how, how sad that we're not aware that that's actually an awesome little sign that there's a healthy farm behind the story of that yeah, I don't that think lettuce. there's a better place for a spider um, to be, is there? <laughs> I know, right? Like, I you, know that's exactly you want the where they have should a nice be. Home? Shouldn't it be on a beautiful organic lettuce? <laughs> as long as it's not on my t-shirt, yeah. I'm very happy. Yeah. So yeah, and, and again, it's just that awareness of nature, the awareness, the connecting the dots of well, in nature, there's lots of things hanging out together. We might have separated ourselves, or certainly tried to, but it's it certainly not serving us well. If you look at the health statistics and mental health statistics of today to have separated ourselves so far from patches of grass and, and the humming of birds. But, yeah, in terms of the, the food we buy, I think it's one of my favourite reassurances and certainly one of the reasons I um, shop primarily at markets or um, my local organic shop is that you see those signs of not just that plant but the types of bugs that like yeah. that plant. Signs and, of life. everything else. <laughs> signs of life. That's exactly right. You know that your food is alive or has been in a place that's alive. Mm, yeah, exactly. Free from um, crazy sprays that try and kill everything, not just the little bugs. Yeah. So, so I, I mean, I, I really encourage people just to start growing something because – and keep, yeah. keep going. It, don't look at it as being a, a process where the goal is to get a perfect 
tomato or any tomato even. The, the, the process, you do the process because the process is valuable. The, the act of actually growing something is, a, is an incredibly powerful way to rekindle your relationship with the natural world, getting your hands in the soil, you know, getting those beneficial microorganisms into your breath and affecting your, your mental health and you know, getting a little bit of food to consume and, and a little bit of time out spending that time with another organism and, and trying to care for that other organism. I mean, the act of caring is an incredibly powerfully positive thing to do. And the act of feeling useful as well, which is something that a lot of people who are either isolated or perhaps low socioeconomic or depressed, you know, feeling completely powerless in their lives, you're very useful well, if you're growing something yeah. that's then going to be eaten, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and incredibly empowering too to, to see and watch plants do their magic. I mean, they take pollution in the atmosphere, carbon dioxide, excess carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, and they make peaches out of them. Like, that's phenomenal. <laughs> it's, it's the most beautiful yeah. thing. Solar-powered, self-regenerating creatures or organisms which, which make beautiful food out of our biggest problem. You know, what more beautiful mm. thing could you get involved with? Just, just harnessing that, that uh, power of photosynthesis to, to make yummy green food for us. I know. It's really, it is magic. That's absolutely the word for it. It, it really is. We've grown a couple of garlic crops at my mother-in-law's over the last few years. And being a part of that is just, you just feel so clever, even though really you're a facilitator, you're <laughs> exactly. not the creator. Yeah. But it, I mean, to just put one bulb of garlic in and 10 come out, I mean, that is just crazy. It is. It's so brilliant. It's, it's so much mm. better than a, than a, you know, uh, a poker machine. <laughs> Yeah, you, you well, I know. I was just about to say, in terms of ROI, yeah. like you know, very financey term. Well, you you harvest you you're you're putting something out there which is harvesting this free and available energy and and converting it into food for you, and it doesn't even require much in the way of maintenance. You know, a little bit of water, a little bit of soil preparation, that's it, really. Most things mm. grow pretty yeah. much with just that yeah so it's not that hard i mean you can you can take it to the next level i mean we we have courses things like you know serious backyard veggies where it, it, we go from people just mucking around growing a little bit of food to producing significant quantities of food for their family or their community uh, so that's not that's backyard veggie gardening it's not market gardening it's designed it's not about making money out of it but you know that course uh, takes people from from that you know beginner's level to being the person on the street who really grows vegetables. Mm, beautiful. But, you know, that, that's, that's more of a, a commitment, more of, you know, just I really just encourage people to, to commit to some time to do it. Just take that 10 minutes out of your day every day or, you know, a half-hour chunk once a week and, and get going, get growing something. Gosh, and you know, really, what are we committed to otherwise? Facebook, checking yeah. Facebook again. Yeah, exactly. You know, so <laughs> it's just we can do it. We absolutely can do it. And the question is whether you want to do it or not. And you can't really know until you expose yourself a little bit and feel the benefits of it, which are pretty much instantaneous. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. Now, something else I wanted to ask you about, I, I was going to ask you about bees, but I'm just having a feeling that I want to just bring you back for another episode on that, if you're okay <laughs> sure. with that, and if I could ask I you that in front bees. of 5,000 people. <laughs> yeah, great. You know, not to put you on the spot or anything, so great, let's lock that in. But <laughs> I did want to ask you about regenerative farming, because this is quite a popular term that maybe people are hearing, and I've had the fantastic Paul Grieve um, from uh, Primal Pastures ah, in California yeah. on the show 
who I love. He's just got such a beautiful personal story of evolution himself um, as a US ex-US Marine and, and how he discovered um, eating better and then wanting to play a much a much louder role in helping other people eat better by growing food and, and rearing animals. What's been your experience with regenerative farming? If you just wouldn't mind just sharing sure. some basic meaning around the term first for people who haven't perhaps heard that episode yet, just to get people up to speed. Sure. And then, yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Well, I mean, the, the word regenerative, it, it's improving uh, an ecosystem and rebuilding an ecosystem rather than just you know, maintaining it, it's it really is a as a positive word used to describe farming systems which which continually improve the land that they're that they're managing. And you know, there's is very clear evidence that animals can be used to regenerate ecosystems. Pastures, mm. pasture or grassland um, just does not exist without grazing animals. In the natural world, the symbiosis between large herbivores grazing grazing grasses. Uh, is what formed the grasslands of the world. There's a huge, vast mm. ecosystem, incredibly diverse, incredibly productive, and the only way they can exist is with grazing animals. Now, those grazing animals, of course, yeah. don't have to be farmed. They could be wild, but you know, nowadays we haven't devoted the entire area that could be put to producing natural grasslands to, to that. We, we have most of that area has become our farmlands. Uh, it's very valuable mm. for cropping and very valuable for, for grazing animals. So, you know, the, the first thing to say is that animals, you know, there, there are no natural ecosystems that are devoid of animals. So we can't expect a, an ecological farm to exist in those kind of environments without having animals. So animals are, are, are key to these things. Mm. They, they play an irreplaceable role in cycling nutrients and ensuring that the, the minerals that are held in the leaves of dying and drying plants are cycled back into manure that forms fertilizer for, for those species and other species of plants. They're, they're intrinsic to that. But at the same time, there's really significant ethical and environmental concerns with farming animals for meat. Generally speaking, most meat is horrific. The story that you find if you scratch below the, the cling wrap is not a, a very nice story. <laughs> scratch below the cling wrap. I love it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's not very nice. Mm. And I think it really is an issue of scale. Mm. When we start trying to scale up animals, animals are not machines. You can't plug a chicken into a little tiny box and expect that chicken to just have one input and one output, you know, input. Uh, pellet output chicken breast you know that, that it, it doesn't happen that way animals are, are really complicated organisms and they require a whole bunch of, of respect yeah in order for us to you know hold on to any of our values we, we really need to i think make sure that our our farming systems that do incorporate animals treat those animals with a level of respect and allow them to exhibit natural behaviors now, none of the animals that we eat that are available at the local butchers, none of those animals are, are you know, wild natural animals anymore, apart from, you know, fish. But the land animals that we eat have been selected for a very long time to have traits and qualities which make them better or easier to farm. They're, a sheep would never survive in the wild. Um, they've been bred to be docile and compliant and and put on a lot of weight very quickly in order to produce meat. So we've got this situation now where we have these 
these incredibly beautiful animals which have been living in symbiosis and thriving in symbiosis with humans for thousands and thousands of years. We have these ecosystems that human beings have been intrinsic in creating in the form of grasslands, especially pastures for farming. How do we manage those at a way which is ethically acceptable and um, ecologically sound in order to produce food for people? And, and these are challenging questions that, you know, as permaculturalists, we don't shy away from. We examine and try to come up with ways of doing this in, in, a, in a way which we're, we're, we find acceptable and comfortable. So yeah. you know, the first thing I would say is, is scale. It's very, very difficult to produce very large farming systems. If you're buying from someone who has very, very large numbers of animals, I would be questioning the ethics of it. Yeah. Uh, I think small is beautiful. If you, if you can know the farmer who knew the name of the animal that you're eating, that's the yeah. best system. Yeah. You know, we're in an incredibly privileged place where we live now where we, we do get we, – I eat meat, not particularly regularly, mm. maybe – once maybe once a week a small amount of meat but mm -hmm. probably you know like an actual meat meal like a steak or a lamb chop or something like that only once every few weeks mm -hmm. and and we're lucky enough that we know people who we can can get that food directly from uh, usually in a non-monetary yeah. form yeah of course you'll be swapping them for some shiitake mushrooms yeah, or you? some honey or some vegetables yeah. Or so you know in in that way we keep our meat consumption at the highest quality not just you know from a organic or chemical free perspective but also from an ecologically sound perspective and also a an ethically positive perspective you know animals mm. I've, I've, I've never had a problem with the idea of taking an animal's life but I do have a very big problem with the idea of take creating pain yes so in I'm lucky enough to be able to eat meat, which is as pain-free as it possibly can be. Look, and I think most of us are, who certainly who live in a large city now, there is some incredible traceability uh, around meat that when I first started in education or even just researching myself, you know, it was really hard to find a butcher who actually knew what the animals were eating or how they were being kept. Yeah, but kept. now that's, that story is, is incredibly important to their business models and that's, that's a good thing. You want, to, you want to understand mm. that story and, and be able to get a good answer that you're comfortable with that fits your ethics and fits your values. Yeah, and it comes back to us as a grassroots population of people needing food and therefore needing to make choices around where and how we buy that food or whether we end up rearing it ourselves, yeah. growing the awareness. Yeah. You know, With the awareness comes the information and with the information comes the ability to make a decision as to whether that sits right with you or not and most people once you are aware and once you do have the information go well I'm not okay with 10 billion chickens stacked up on top of each other in tiny cages so I can have my roast chook every single yeah. week if I want to or you know it's um yeah it's an interesting journey so yeah less is more mm. find meat that you are very happy with the story find the full story you know not the mm. not the just the stamp you know, look for something a little bit more detailed about the story of where that meat comes from. Oh, absolutely. Um, and yes, and if and in, can I just give an extra little hot tip there? If you ask a direct question on social media or via their customer service email and you don't get a reply, that always speaks volumes. Yeah, there's a reason why they're not telling you. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, so to find out the story and, and have, have it as being a story that you're proud to tell people, tell your family that you're feeding the food to or tell you, you need, 
you didn't guess that story. And if you're proud of that story, then you know, then feel free to, to eat that meat. I love that. Yeah. If you're not, maybe change what you're eating. Get creative. There is an amazing things you can do with things other than meat. Mm. Yeah, that's it. I mean, you know, the the fact remains that we're not eating enough veggies. Um, that that's for everybody. So halve the meat, double the veg, and and you know up the quality, and we'll we'll come a much further way both in climate change and in ethical farming if we if we start to do that. And you just start encouraging the good guys to grow, and the guys who have been just simply responding to market uh, volume needs to think differently. Because if the market trend goes down, then maybe they'll be able to earn a bigger price per kilo and they'll be able to change the way they practice their farming as well, being kinder to their animals. Yeah, I mean... So there's just so many wins. People would not believe on how small an uh, amount of money that we live our life with. One of the things that I'm really, really proud about is, is how little money we actually in my family that we actually spend. And But I have I have no mm. trouble paying... I mean, if, if, I, if I do buy meat, of someone who is an ecologically sound farmer, I have no trouble paying them that thirty, forty, fifty dollars a kilo for that meat, even though that represents a much more significant amount of my income than most people, because I don't eat very much of it. And when I do eat it, I it's it's a sacred thing. It's a sacred and beautiful thing. And and yeah. you know, paying that kind of money for, for food is something that helps remind you that it's a sacred and beautiful thing, rather than just a. That's exactly thing. right. Exactly right. So true. You know, if you've spent a whole wad of cash, you're just like, okay, I'm going to make this last. And you might freeze some for later yeah. and make a small casserole and, and then have a tiny bit that's make a stock, for tonight. Stock and... or a bone broth or something out of the, out of the other bits. And... Oh, yes. Yeah. Mm. I'm going to pop some resources in the show notes for people just starting on that journey of traceability around meat if you are a omnivore so that you guys have a whole bunch of references to explore. Nick, what's happening that's next? What's the most exciting thing you guys have coming up? Uh, wow. Well, I, you're turning, we're 10. turning 10. I'm going to yes, tell we're, everybody we're that because that's a very 10 exciting years old milestone. this year. So that's a that's a big deal for us. We have some amazing things coming up. We've got this uh, great guy um, coming out from New Zealand, Jody Roebuck, who's who's teaching biointensive gardening for us, which is a, a gardening technique that really is about maximising your production in a in a small space. So Jody is an incredibly infectious presenter. We also have oh, I didn't we, we didn't even talk about ferments and cheese. I'll tack that on to the bees because yeah. we'll do that okay. next Well, we've, got, we've yeah. got David Asher who <laughs> oh, wrote awesome. the amazing book, The Art of Natural Cheese Making. We've got him coming out uh, in a couple of months' time as well. Uh, and he's just this phenomenal presenter around how to make cheeses that are wild and free. Ooh, yes. I think I might be coming to that one. It's, it's, he's, he's great. It'll completely blow Fantastic. your mind about um, about dairy and, and cheese and and what is um, what is what is safe and what is good for you. There's a lot of fear around around dairy and the way that David teaches you to make cheese. It's it's about harnessing the wild ecologies of your kitchen and and using those to produce the yummiest, beautifulest natural cheeses. Beautiful. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. And we'll put all of those details as well in the show notes. Nick, I just want to say thank you so much for your time. This has been an awesome chat. My pleasure, Alex. Great, great chatting. Really lovely. Yeah, and uh, I will see you in a couple of months for another chat about bees. Can't wait. Sounds good. Bye. Bye.
Thank you so much for joining me for today's show. Check out the show notes at lowtoxlife.com forward slash podcast. And if you wanted to maybe share a quote and something that really jumped out for you, you can find us on Instagram at lowtoxlife or simply hashtag lowtoxlife across social media. I absolutely love bringing you the show. Thank you for any of the star ratings or one-line reviews that you guys have left. It helps me know what you've been loving and what you'd love to see more of. I'll see you next week. Who is that? Hi, Puck Pass.